Our reading is found in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 13, and it is in the bulletin. I invite you to read along as we read together. Verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, your power is at work in us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would exert that power now as we come to listen to your word, to hear it explained, to hear it applied to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you work among us, opening our eyes, breaking off the spiritual scales that blind us to your glory. And would you use your word now, Lord, in a mighty way among us now, I ask in Jesus' name. Last week was wonderful, wasn't it? Last week we <clears throat> concluded the series. Today is a bit of a, a postscript, I guess you could say, or an epilogue on the You Are Here series. But last week we wrapped up the series. We concluded it. We did a retrospective showing where we had been and summing the whole thing up. And then we ended by singing that song that we just sang together, Now Is He Worthy? And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Someone made the comment that it felt like heaven as we sang that last song together after going on that journey together. And I'll, I'll admit I had the same thought. There's nothing better to me, there's nothing better to my soul than being with you, being in the company of the redeemed and with, with our attention fixated on the most worthy person in the universe with nothing to compete, nothing to distract. That's what heaven will be like. And as our service came to a close last week, I just wanted it to keep on going. 
I wanted to go further up and further in. I wanted to be in glory already. But we're not in glory already. The service last week ended. Kind of like that. And we all went home and ate lunch. Maybe had a nap. We continued on with the rest of our lives in this fallen world. So how did you do with that? How did it go for you as you headed to bed on Sunday evening, as you woke up Tuesday morning? Did your heart feel the same things that they felt as we were here together last Sunday? Did your love for Christ continue unabated from the way that it was as we sang, He is together at the end of last week. It kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? Those are rhetorical questions. Mountaintop experiences are wonderful, but most of us find that we don't get to stay there for very long. That doesn't mean that our time on the mountaintop is a waste. It doesn't mean that those experiences aren't worthwhile or important. Not at all. But what it means is that we need to know, we need to learn how to take the truths that we experience on the mountaintop and to carry them with us into the plains and, yes, even the valleys below where we spend most of our time. And that's why this passage today is such an encouragement and it is so helpful to us because it teaches us how to do that. Today's passage teaches us how to take the truth we know, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus that we've been celebrating together today, and take it with us into the realities of the broken world in which we live. And this is an absolutely necessary thing to learn if we're going to sustain a lifetime of love for Jesus. This is an absolutely necessary thing for us to learn if, if for example, these past eight months of this sermon series aren't just going to be a waste of time. If they're actually going to mean something for you long term, it's absolutely necessary if Easter Sunday is going to be more than just a flash in the pan of your life. We need to know how to do this. And so we're going to learn how, as we lean into these words that come to us from God through the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man who knew the mountaintop very well. I can assure you that he had mountaintop experiences that top anything that we've ever had. I mean, he was caught up to heaven itself. He was taught his gospel directly by the risen Lord Jesus himself, taught things he wasn't allowed to repeat. Which, by the way, I think it's funny when you read books of people who claim to have visited heaven and they tell you everything. And uh, that's not what we see in scripture. And yet as he writes this last letter to Timothy, as Paul writes this last letter to Timothy, he's locked up in a Roman prison. He mentions his chains in this passage that we read. Early church history suggests that Paul was imprisoned in a place that was a, a converted cistern. It had been just a holding place for water, a little hole in the roof. It was connected to the city's sewage system, which would often run through. It was just an awful place. And that's where Paul was, waiting to appear before Caesar and, and, and very likely die, which is, what he, which is what did happen. And Paul's stuck there, while Timothy, his protege, is struggling away in Ephesus, trying to help this church. Remember, Paul had left him in Ephesus to, to kind of put that church in order, and it's not going really well. The church seems stuck. They don't seem to be responding to his leadership. The issues don't seem to be getting any better. 
And as we read through 2 Timothy, we see that it's starting to pile up. Timothy's now got his own personal health issues to deal with. Paul talks about his frequent ailments. The suffering is starting to really pile up. And from what we can gather in this letter of 2 Timothy, Timothy's getting worn down. He's starting to feel weak. Fear and shame are, are nipping at his heels. And he's finding that being faithful is a lot harder than he thought. And everything he's experienced in the past, all of his mountaintop moments, all of his amazing adventures with Paul, they're not magically making everything easier for him in the day-to-day grind today. And so Paul writes to encourage Timothy to help him find his strength again. We hear that in verse 1 of our passage. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy needed strength And he knew where to find it. He just had to do it. He had to be strengthened by the grace that was in Christ Jesus. Timothy also needed perspective. He needed strength. He needed perspective. He needed to know and and, and see again that the Christian life is war. And he, in his spot, was on the front lines. And when you're a soldier on the front lines, you expect things to be hard. That's what Paul is saying to him in verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. When you're a soldier, you expect the enemy to fire at you. You expect it to be hard. You share in suffering as a soldier. Then in verses 5 and 6, Paul uses two more metaphors. He uses the metaphor of a soldier and he uses two more. The idea of a, of a farmer and an athlete to, to Help Timothy see that embracing difficulty and embracing long-term endurance was, was, was part of what he needed to do, right? Nobody becomes a farmer because it's going to be easy. Those of you who are farmers here in the room, I, I, you didn't choose that vocation just so you could do something easy. No one chooses to become an athlete, a competitive athlete, because they just want something fun to do that's not going to be hard. No, both of those are things that are extremely difficult. They require a lot of discipline. You have to embrace difficulty. You have to buckle in for the long haul. You have to defer your hopes and expectations for the future. You have to be content to wait for your reward. And those were all qualities Timothy needed to emulate. So Timothy needed strength, he needed perspective. But there's the third thing that he needed that is the core of of our time together this morning. And that's that Timothy needed to remember. He needed to remember Jesus Christ. And that's in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, reflecting on this verse and looking at it one piece at a time. Notice the first word here in this verse. Remember. Keep keep this in mind. Think about this. Don't stop thinking about it. Don't forget about this. Does it seem strange to you that Paul would have to tell Timothy not to forget about Jesus? He's in ministry in the first place because of Jesus. That's why he's doing his job. How could you forget? That's why some people don't really understand this that way. One commentary says, Paul certainly doesn't think that Timothy is in danger of forgetting Jesus. But I'm not so sure about that. I have no problem with the idea of Timothy forgetting about Jesus. Because don't we all? 
Isn't that what we're doing every time we sin? Isn't that what we're doing every time we give in to temptation and doubt? Forgetting about Jesus. Not permanently, but in the moment. It's horrible to actually describe it in those words, to think, I forgot about Jesus. But think back to a a moment of failure in your life in the past week. Were you remembering Jesus in that moment? And that's kind of the point. That's the point of Paul's exhortation here. Timothy, Timothy, remember Jesus. Don't forget about him. When you get that other jab or criticism, when you get sick again, when doubt is pulling you down, in that moment, remember, Timothy, remember Jesus. Don't forget about him. That's what Timothy needed, and that's what we need. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He goes on, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Paul deliberately tells Timothy to remember the risen Jesus. And this is why this is such a good verse for us to be considering this morning, Easter, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. It tells us that the remembering that Timothy was supposed to do was not a memorial type of remembering, like, like what we do on Remembrance Day, for example. We remember men in the past who lived and died. This is what every other religion in the world is confined to remembering the past and the past alone. But that's not the kind of remembering that this passage is speaking about. This passage is telling us to keep in mind a person who is raised from the dead and who is therefore alive. I wonder if you've ever stopped to think about this major implication of the resurrection. I remember when it first hit me like a ton of bricks. We know Jesus died and he rose from the dead. But that's a, that's a past event, right? The resurrection is in the past. I tended to file it away as another event of history. Something that happened. But if Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive, and as we sang at the beginning this morning, death no longer has a hold on him, then that means he is still alive today. Today, Jesus is alive Jesus' heart is beating right now. Somewhere, I don't know where the present heaven is, if it's a part of this universe or if it's another dimension, I don't know how this works, but somewhere in reality, there is a man with a pulse and his name is Jesus Christ. He's breathing. Now again, I don't know how this works. Is there oxygen there? There's some things we don't understand, but we know Jesus did not leave his body behind. That was the whole point of his disciples seeing him ascend to heaven in the body. That when he took on flesh, that wasn't a temporary thing. Jesus has a pulse this morning. He is alive. And he is interceding for his people. That's, he's, he's doing something right now. He is ruling. He's the king He's not just a figure of history. He's a living person. I don't know about you, but but when I realized that, when I really stopped to let that soak in, that in the body somewhere in this universe, in reality, there is a person named Jesus that is just a thrilling thing. It's like if someone told you he's in the other room. What would that do to you? Well, it's, it's the same kind of thing. He's just a little bit further away than the other room. He is alive. 
That means there's a person named Jesus who knows you. If you've trusted in him, you know that that man, Jesus Christ, died for you on the cross. He intercedes for you today. He asks the Father to apply the benefits of the atonement to you today. He's there to fend off Satan's accusation. Through the Holy Spirit, he's at work in your life. He knows you. He's been with you through his Holy Spirit. He's intimately acquainted with your every weakness, every nuance of your story. So Jesus is alive. That means, that means we can't just take him or leave him because he won't leave us. We can't just ignore him because he won't ignore us. He rose from the dead and is a living and active person today and we must remember this. Now there's some other big implications of the resurrection of Jesus and, and, and that go into why Paul is bringing this up to Timothy here. It would, be, they would have been so meaningful to Timothy in a situation because the resurrection reminds us of the incredible suffering that Jesus endured in his life and in his death. He faced constant opposition from his enemies. And then when he suffered on the cross, right, we read in how all of his enemies stood around wagging their tongues, hurling insults at him, and it looked like his enemies won. It looked like they were right. And there's Timothy suffering away, alone, his enemies stacking up against him. So the resurrection of Jesus from the dead would have been hugely encouraging to Timothy because it shows us that God's enemies don't get the last word despite all the appearances. Suffering doesn't get the last word. Death doesn't get the last word. And just like this was true of Jesus, so it will be true of us. His followers, as we suffer with him faithfully, we look to our own glorification, our own resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits, and like we read at the beginning of the service, we're going to follow. And this isn't just a, a nice idea. This literally is going to happen. We are literally going to be raised from the dead, just like Jesus was. This is the consistent hope in the New Testament that we're pointed to. And this is the exact point that Paul makes in verse 11 of, of, of our passage this morning for 2 Timothy chapter 2. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And what Timothy was going through felt like death and it would end up in death. He's going to die. But if we die with him, we will also live with him. And it's interesting when people are suffering, when people are going through a hard time, we're often tempted to say glib things like, ah, cheer up, things are going to get better. And yet, you know what? A statement like that is actually a lot more true than we think. If you know Christ, things are going to get way better for you in the resurrection when you arise with a new body. It's that long-term hope that Paul is speaking of here. That's the Christian life. That's how hope works. It's not our best life now. It's our best life later. And that's the hope that keeps us going in our suffering. Right? That's why it's so hard in, in, in our world today to have Christian hope because we live in a culture of, of immediacy. Everything is, is now, right? I don't want to read the book. I want to watch the movie. I don't want to turn on the oven. I want to put it in the microwave. I, I want everything fast and now and faster internet. And we, and, and, and we miss out on what previous generations understood is that good things require patience, waiting, sometimes for years. 
And the Christian life is an exercise of having long-term patience, decades-long patience, setting our hope on something far off in the future and having that hope sustain us and give us joy today. And that's the hope that we're reminded of in the resurrection of Jesus. He's the first fruits of a great harvest, and we're going to be in that harvest someday. Charles Simeon was, was a man who understood this truth well. He understood the implication of the resurrection of Jesus for our experience of suffering today. Charles Simeon was an English pastor in the 1800s, and he stayed in one church, one church for 49 years. Now, you might think that for a pastor to stay in one church for 49 years means he must have been well-loved. Well, in fact, the opposite was true. Simeon was hated. He was opposed by by a bunch of people in the church, especially the, the power brokers, the people that had real power. People would literally come and lock the front door of the church on him so he couldn't get in. You have to get locksmiths to come and open up the front door of the church where he was a pastor so they could hold services. And then the church had, had pews with little uh, doors on the end that would lock and people would lock those so that no one could sit down. For a whole 10 years, he ministered in this church without people being able to sit down, just standing in the aisles. And he stuck it out for almost 50 years in spite of this kind of constant opposition. And at the end of this ministry, he was talking with a friend and a friend asked him, like, how did you do that? How, how, did you, how did you have that kind of endurance? And here's what he said. My dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I am getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head, that's Christ, has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. Isn't that beautiful? You see the picture there? He's describing this world of suffering like a, like a thick hedge that's poking at our skin and tearing at it. But, but our head, Jesus Christ, has safely passed through and we know we're connected to him and where he is, there we will be. And this is the exact lesson that Paul's trying to teach Timothy here. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Where he is, so we will be. As he is, so we will be. So remember, Timothy. Now, there's one more important phrase that Paul adds in verse 8 that we really need to consider. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. I hope you pick up on the significance of that after our journey in these last few months. Jesus is the promised one, the, the, the Jewish Messiah, the anointed one, the one long promised by God. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the hope of God's people. He's the son of David who right now is reigning at the right hand of God, just like David foresaw in Psalm 110. And Jesus, as, this, as the offspring of David, I mean, this is telling us one thing, that God keeps his promises, even if it takes him longer than we think. But this also points us to the day when Jesus is going to reign on the earth as king like we sang this morning, he lives forever with his saints to reign. And this hope would have had powerful implications for Timothy in his spot of suffering. 
You think Timothy was familiar with the parable that we considered last week? The parable of the talents or the minas? The parable that tells us that as we are faithful in this life, we are being tested and proven so that we can reign with King Jesus, the son of David, when he comes to take up his throne in the new creation. I think that was Paul's point, and we have that confirmed in verse 12, which says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. See how much a part of his thinking this was? The idea of reigning with Jesus was just there. So endure, Timothy, stick it out in Ephesus, because you serve the risen son of David, and you're going to reign with him when he takes up his throne here on earth. So that's what Timothy needed. He needed to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Just think about how much Timothy had experienced in his life. Timothy had been mentored by a guy who had seen Jesus face to face. Timothy got letters in the mail that ended up in the Bible. Just think about that. First and second Timothy here. Like those, these are letters to him and they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. I've had some good mentors in my life, but never anything of this quality. Timothy lived at a time in history where you could go talk to eyewitnesses who still remembered what Jesus' voice sounded like. He could go talk to people who had been with Jesus, had been healed by him, who remembered what his favorite food was. He was so close to the actual events. Timothy ministered in a city, Ephesus, which had just so recently been turned upside down by the power of the gospel. Read Acts chapter 19. If you want to look for the idea of a revival, it was there. The city completely turned upside down. Everything was still so new and fresh. And yet here he is, struggling away. And Paul needs to say, remember. So how much more do you and I need to remember Jesus Christ? I know that some of you in different ways are experiencing a similar set of circumstances as Timothy, suffering hardship. You're feeling your weakness. You need to remember. Another angle on this command to remember is this sermon series that we just finished. I've poured my heart out for the past eight months for you, trying as best as I can to teach you the whole counsel of God, like Acts 20, 27 says, and to show you who Jesus is from one end of the Bible to the other. But it's not going to mean much if you just forget about it. In many ways, it's up to you now to remember what you've been taught, to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, and to carry that remembrance into every corner of your life. And I'm sure we could fill in other examples here of just ways in which we need to remember. Think of just, just, just think now, what is a, a challenge or a struggle that is waiting for you this week? And 
And in that challenge or in that struggle, one of the most important, most relevant things that you can do and must do is to remember Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? How do we remember, right? Because the whole thing about remembering is we don't know we've forgotten until we remember again. So how do we remember to remember the risen Jesus? We're doing it this morning. It's Resurrection Sunday. But once a year isn't often enough. So how do we remember Jesus Christ? How do we take the truths we learn on the mountaintop and not forget about them in the plains and valleys below? How do we make sure that these past eight months of our life together as a church aren't just a colossal waste of time? How do we make sure that it's not Easter 2020 before you remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead? I have four answers that I want to suggest to you today. Four four ideas, four suggestions on how we can remember to remember. The first one is this. Come to church every Sunday. I know that sounds like an obvious one. Oh, here we go. The pastor's telling us to come to church again. But maybe it's not. I've met many Christians who treat church like an optional extra in their life and something that that very quickly gets dropped for other priorities. Still remember a conversation, someone coming up and telling me, just be careful about preaching too long today because, you know, there's a football game and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave to watch it. So if, you know, just so you know, Lord have mercy on us. Maybe you come to church, but you don't engage very deeply. You let your mind wander. You're here, but it's not that important to you. I would argue that gathering once a week with God's people and fully engaging ourselves while we're here is one of, should be one of the greatest priorities in our life. Do you know why Christians meet on Sunday? Do you you know why we meet Sunday instead of Saturday? Because Sunday is the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. The early Christians, if you read in the New Testament, the early Christians called it the Lord's Day. And that was the day that the early Christians would gather to do what? To remember that their Lord Jesus had risen from the dead. And so that's what we do. That's what we should be doing as we gather every single week. So we gather to remember Jesus Christ. We gather to help each other remember so make this a priority in your life. This is a priority for me, not just because I, you know, this is my job, but this is my job because it's a priority to me. This is a priority for me and my family, even when we're on vacation, right? We'll plan travel time around Sunday to make sure that as much as possible, we can be in a good church on Sunday morning to remember Jesus with God's people. So important. So that's my first suggestion on how we can remember to remember. Second, connect with God's people throughout the week. This is another community-oriented one. It's another thing we see in the New Testament is that the people of God, they, they shared life with each other. Whether it's through hospitality in our homes, whether it's through small groups, whether it's meeting other people for coffee, we should be a part of each other's lives. And we should be making the Lord, here's, here's, here's the thing, we should be making the Lord a regular part of our conversation. It should be normal for us to ask each other, how goes the spiritual battle? What has God been teaching you recently? What have you been reading in the word? How can I pray for you? I had a friend and 
he struggled with small talk and he really wanted to help turn our conversation to the Lord. And so a question he would ask people is, so are you still a Christian? What a great question because it just gets the juices flowing. He didn't believe that they could lose their salvation, but the whole point was just the kind of conversations that would produce. So we should be part of our lives and we should use those times to remind each other about our risen Savior and his grace for us. We should help each other not forget, just like Paul is doing for Timothy here. Third, and you knew I was going to say this, we need to read the Bible often. As we consistently spend time in God's word, we're going to be reminded of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, and we won't be allowed to forget. To bring it back to the sermon series again, let me, let me, let me talk about that for a moment. Do you know, one of, the, one of my goals in this series that we just finished, one of the, the main things that I was going for was to lay a foundation of understanding so that as you read the Bible on your own, you're going to have a better understanding of what's going on and how the pieces fit together. I know that we hear all the time we're supposed to read the Bible, and I know it's a big struggle for many Christians as they don't know what they're reading. And I know that because I experienced that. We all experienced that. And so that's in a part of this series is to, to lay a foundation so that as we read, we go, ah, I know where I am in the story. I got an idea of what's going on. So make that a priority. We all have time to read God's word. We just decide very often to spend that time on other things. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some by the water cooler at the back. You can just take one, download one on your phone. If you don't know where to start, come talk to me. I can recommend some great reading plans, some some ways that you can do this practically. But one of the best, most important ways for us to remember, to remember Christ Jesus is to let his word do that reminding for us as we read it and get into it day in and day out. Now I have a fourth and a final suggestion. I find that for myself, I can have a great time in God's word in the morning. But by three in the afternoon, with all the other stuff that just comes at me in a day, I'm not doing such a great job of remembering and living in the truth the way that I should. And so I need, and I suspect more than just me, need to embrace the discipline of remembering throughout the day. We see examples of this in scripture, like of Daniel, right? How many times did he pray? Three times every day. He was in his schedule. Three times of turning to Jerusalem and praying and remembering his God. And I'll admit, I don't do this perfectly, and I'm still figuring it out, but I'm trying. Try, we do things like, for example, when I, when I sit down to eat a meal with my family, which very often is just supper in the day, we don't just thank God for the food but we, we take that, those moments to turn to God, to remember him, to remember that we need him, to remember his grace. We thank him for the day. We ask for his help and his grace in the hours ahead of us. So that's one thing that you can do is you, you eat three times a day at least. And use, why don't you use that time of praying before you eat to remember Jesus Christ, thank him for the gospel, thank him for his work in your life, ask him to help you trust him in the hours that are ahead of you. There's other things that we can do, you know, these, these tools that can be such powerful tools that can also distract us so much, can also be tools of reminding, right? So 
I often will have a lock screen on my phone that might have a scripture or a passage that, or a picture that reminds me of a scripture. So every time I look at my phone, there's a reminder there of my need for Jesus, my need to push into him. There's things that we can do. All of this that I'm saying here is assuming that we are so prone to forget. We're so prone to wander. We're so prone to not remember our Savior. And all the distractions in the modern world don't help us out. But we can turn off the TV. We can put the phone on do not disturb. We can take advantage of these means of grace, the church community, our own personal disciplines, so that we remember Jesus Christ and live in the light of his resurrection from the dead. So this is it. I said last week was the conclusion, but really in these moments here, the the You Are Here series ends now. And yet let it not end. We know where we are. We know what's been. We know what's coming. Church, let's do what we're about to sing here together. Let's arise. Let's make sure that our armor is on. Let's hear the call of Christ the captain. Let's not ever forget about the cross, the resurrection. And may God put strength in our stride so that we go out from here today into the rest of our weeks ready to fight and ready to remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Let's pray. Jesus, when we're faced with all that you've done, when we're faced with your reality, the thought of forgetting you is grievous. But Lord, here we each stand guilty of that. So we thank you for your death for us on the cross that has paid for all of our sin, granted us forgiveness. Jesus, when you died for us, you died for all the times that we would forget that you died for us. Thank you for your grace. And Lord, as we conclude now this journey we've been on as a church, as we conclude this, this wonderful morning together, Lord, as we head out into the rest of our days, the rest of our weeks, Lord, would you help us to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Would you help us to remember to remember? Would you make us a people, Lord, who don't forget I ask this in your name, Jesus, living Jesus. Amen.